whether that conversation's virtual, like what we're doing right now, mm -hmm. or digital in a social media platform, or face-to-face -face like old traditional. Our lens is a little different with each one of those platforms, but it's a conversation where we're listening, we're empathetic, and we're a little bit skeptical sometimes where we can challenge our friends and our, our prospects and our customers about whether they're really thinking the right way. Welcome to the Making Sales Social Podcast, featuring the top voices in sales, marketing, and business. Join Bryn Tillman and me, Bob Woods, as we each bring you the best tips and strategies our guests are teaching their clients, so you can leverage them for your own virtual and social selling. Enjoy the show. My guest today on Making Sales Social is author, podcaster, and CEO of Helix Sales Development, Walter Crosby. Walter works with growth-minded mid-market CEOs who have the desire and commitment to build a performance-based sales culture. Helix Sales Development leverages the sales manager, or manager, within managers, I should say, within the organization, teaching them how to direct a, a successful sales team, create the process, establish positive accountability, and coach with a coaching as a constant management style, which a lot of people don't do, as we all probably know. Using its proven sales training process, Helix says that 91% of salespeople rise to the top half of companies they work for within the first year. That's a hell of a goal. I like hearing that a lot. And speaking of the podcast and the author part, Walter has also just published a new book, The Seven Critical Mistakes CEOs Make with Their Sales Organization That Topped the Company from Scaling, which is out now on Amazon. And we'll hear a little bit more about that. And he's also host of the Sales and Cigars podcast, which can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the major podcasting platforms. And we'll get into a little bit of that, too, as well during our show. So, Walter, welcome, and congratulations on your new book, too. Thanks, Bob. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Looking forward to it. This one is going to be fun, as they all are. So let's go ahead and do this. Uh, our first traditional quest question we ask of, of all of our guests is, what does making sales social mean to you? It's, it's a good question. I, to me, I think it's it's about having a conversation and, and being able to, whether that conversation's virtual, like what we're doing right now, mm -hmm. or digital in a social media platform or face-to-face -face, like old traditional. Our lens is a little different with each one of those you know, platforms, but it's about having a conversation just like you would with a, a friend or family member, right? We just have a slightly different objective. It's, it's to help solve a problem, right? And some of our friends have problems and we have a tendency to want to help them. Sometimes uh, I have to resist the temptation when my my spouse comes and tells me about something that's going on, I have to resist. Like, well, here, why don't you do this? I just right. need, sometimes you just need to listen, um, yeah, and, and and be able to take that in. So it's a conversation where we're listening, we're empathetic, and we're a little bit skeptical sometimes, where we can challenge our friends and our our prospects and our customers about whether they're really thinking the right way. So I do sure. I do all those things even even socially. My my posts social media is about challenging the way people think sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, especially because if you like softly challenge people when you do that and you're still in that conversation, still learning about what it is that they're looking for, it's almost like their minds open up to new possibilities 
at the same time. And that's one of the really great things that I like about social is that you can do that through conversations. You can do that through your content. I mean, there are so many different ways to do that. And it's, it's not really persuasion per se, and you're not playing Jedi mind tricks or whatever. You're just finding out more and offering them something that they may not be thinking about. It's about listening first, right? I think you're hundred yes. percent right. If you're not listening to that person speak or you're not listening to that or reading that person's post with an open open mind and an open ear then you're you're not going to be able to really engage with it and you know outside of social media right where there's or even with some social media people just don't have conversations anymore and they don't yeah. because they don't listen and it's really about having that sometimes it's an uncomfortable conversation which mm -hmm. is okay right if if you're yeah. truly listening um, we were talking before about our alumni and mm -hmm. some of my best friends are alumni from your fair institution, but we just agree that, you know, we have different perspectives, but I learned stuff from them and they learn stuff from me. It's, it's just part of the, part of the idea that you just have to listen and, and really have a conversation. Absolutely. So how does um, using social work with what you do for the CEOs and sales managers that I uh, referenced up in, in the intro? You know, I think whether you're a CEO or a sales rep, I think we have to acknowledge that there is not one way to go about sales, right? I, mean, I, hear, I hear people all the right. time saying cold calling is dead and social media is dead and you got to mm -hmm. do it this way. Everything works and everything doesn't work. Right. So right. we got to do a little bit of everything. Um, I think we need to focus on doing fewer things better. But if you don't have a presence on social media, and we can define social media lots of different ways, but it's where your audience is. And if you're if you're not speaking to that audience, and when I say speaking, I'm not trying to you use the word persuasion before and, and sell them something. That's not the goal. It's, right. To me, it's about education, being helpful. Right, challenging how they how they view the world, maybe um, yep. from time to time. But when I'm doing social media, I'm speaking to a very specific, what we call a dot, uh, an ideal client profile, like the person mm -hmm. that we we want to work with that we feel we mm -hmm. can help. And that, and other people may hear it, and you know they can reach out to us or they might learn something. That's all great. But there's a small group of people that. We, we can work with and we can help. And that's who I'm talking to. And if that resonates, great. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. So speaking of social and social presence and things like that, I'm going to do something a little different today. And it's only because Walter publishes such great content on LinkedIn. So please definitely follow him on LinkedIn. Thank Go to his you. profile, click that follow button, Walter Crosby. So I'm going to draw from some of his recent posts because he brings up a lot of really good questions and points that are being discussed in sales, sales management, and also hiring of salespeople today too. So this is obviously not only for people who are managing, but people who are salespeople who want to, you know, kind of slot into that too. So this is going to be a great conversation. First off, we are hearing all kinds of things about layoffs at various companies. It's just the way things are right now. One of the areas that always gets hit is sales, not only in headcount, but in training and support. And Walter has a quote that I think is just brilliant. Why would you stop resources to improve the revenue machine? It seems counterintuitive and even crazy. 
Uh, so Walter, why do you think CEOs, CFOs, et cetera, you know, go through all these actions and what should they be doing instead with the understanding that their companies are probably in situations where they do need to, to, to be doing that proverbial belt tightening? Uh, oh, absolutely. It's a great, it's a great question. And I'm, I'm glad that post kind of uh, resonated. I, I think what happens is that a CEO or senior executive in an organization it has a, a gut reaction. Like we have, we perceive our revenue is going to drop recessionary times, whatever the per, the reason is. They're basing it on gut reaction rather than data, rather than looking at what's really happening. What did they look in the rearview mirror? Like what happened the last time we had a recession? What happened in 08? What happened in the 60s and the 70s, the 80s, the 90s? Right? Every decade's got a, a situation. How did yep. you react? What worked? What didn't work? Right. That's one way to look at it. Like, what have we done in the past that's worked, and what have we done that didn't work? Right. Mm -hmm. but the other piece of it is they'll look at the they'll look at their sales organization the way a CFO looks at it, and because they're getting data from the CFO, so we got to cut the the 15, 20, whatever the percentage is that they feel they need to cut. They're going to cut it from the sales organization, but they're going to base it on inaccurate or ill-informed data. So not all salespeople are created equal and not all right. of them are in a role that should be doing the same thing. If we're going to lose a little bit of market share and we know that we're going to lose market share, then how do we protect those accounts and that market share that we have? But if we have to go out and find new logos, mm -hmm. what are we going to do? How are we going to prepare our team to do that? Do we have the right team to do that? You know, the guys that have been selling accounts that are doing two or three million dollars a year are your biggest producers why are they your biggest producer are they just working these large accounts and just re reoccurring revenue and they're growing it a little bit or are they out killing it bringing in new logos both yeah. are important but when you go into a recession in these in this year scenario you have to do belt tightening which one do we want to cut which ones do we want to grow which ones do we want to support there's no easy answer you got to look at it and you got to look at the data and there's ways of doing that. We, that's one of the things that we can do with, with a, for a CEO, but if they just cut based on top producers, those people are not necessarily find new business. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's very understandable because, because they need to be hunting. Yeah. It depends upon what you need. So right. if, if they need to protect the market share, those people have to be there and maybe cut some of those account managers or farmers who, who are just handling smaller accounts. And we ask everybody to step up and do a little bit more. But if you're going to need to go find new logos, and guess what? When you're in a recessionary time, it's a great time if you have good fundamentals to go out and grab business from your competitor because everybody's looking at what they're doing it's easier to have a conversation, a value conversation is going to win, right? You can't just go sell on price. Um, right. So it, it, it's having the right people at the right time, the right roles. And what, what we're into right now and where we're going, I think we still need the same fundamentals, right? We still need to be able to have the right kind of conversations and be able to message it well and be clear about what our objectives are. But if you just make those decisions to cut people without understanding why we're cutting them. I think it leads to long-term problems okay. in sales organizations. So now let's go to the flip side of that, hiring salespeople in a recession. 
you recently hosted a webinar on this, and I'm wondering how sales managers in the C-suite can hire for and develop not only just a sales team, but a recession-ready sales team. Well, it, it, there's a there's a little overlap in the questions. Um, first mm -hmm. off, we should never stop recruiting. We should always be looking for talent. I don't care if it's, you know, sit on the bench and to keep those relationships going, but there are 6% of salespeople in the planet, 6% that we consider elite, that are really great at having value conversations or consultative hunt, talk to the right decision makers, can build relationships, can follow the process, 6%. Wow. And there's another 14% that are good. They do a pretty good job. They're not great, but they're good. Another 20% that's above average, depending upon where you put average, the rest you don't want on your team. Mm -hmm. I mean, just being being honest and straightforward. Sure. So if you're not always looking to recruit talent, you're going to run into a problem because you should be able to go find talent and you need it. So, but to go find talent in a recessionary time is much the same as when when we were having good economic time. It's just the supply and demand swings, just like it does in every other, like you know. I was an economics major, and that's one of the few things I remember from economics classes was supply and demand, um, and that that sets the price. So we're going to pay more right now for really good salespeople because they have lots of opportunities awaiting them. Mm -hmm. so that's something that we need to get straight in our head as a senior executive. A comp plan needs to be aligned with the market, and it also needs to be aligned with what we want them to do, right? If we want them to mm -hmm. go out and sell new logos, then we should provide the right incentives to, for that behavior. And if we want them to procure uh, new new growth within an existing account, that mm -hmm. comp plan should do should be aligned with that. But it's it's looking for what we need to do, and then going out and finding those people. And you know we have some tools and techniques to be able to to help define that in a candidate. Um, our our way of approaching hiring salespeople is the first first mistake that people make is that they hire the salesperson the same way they hire an admin, an engineer, a manufacturing person, yeah. anybody else in the organization. And I'm a salesperson for over 30 years, so I can say this, we're different. We can go sell ourselves and we're better at interviewing than a lot of hiring managers or better than a lot of HR people, right? And we can skew that, that interview. And we can write a resume that makes things look well. So if we treat them the same way we treat all of those other people in the organization, you're going to hire poorly. So right. let's figure out, let's, let's, let's approach it differently. Let's approach it with some, some data driven, some, some science behind it. Let's put together an interview structure that is uh, objective, that allows us to truly evaluate candidates from one to the other and ask them all the same questions. Let's put a little effort into training our the people doing the interviews, right? Because we all bring Ooh. bias to the party, right? And there's unconscious yeah. bias all over the place. I, I, yep. I graduated with a, a woman who was at a very large bank in their HR department. And if she got a resume from a, from a candidate who had a, graduated from a, a particular university, she would toss it. it like it never existed. Wow. Right. So, I mean, that's more than an unconscious bias. Yeah. <laughs> things like that happen. Yep. Um, it's silly. It's wrong. It's unethical. Should be rooted yep. out. 
but um, that's one of the things that happens. So we need to spend some time helping our hiring managers and the people doing the interviews to, to do this with more structure to it, um, to make sure that we're creating objective scoring, right? The idea that we should be trying to disqualify hiring sales candidates is much like what we do with prospects. We're always looking for the reason this might not work. We're always looking for a, a challenge that might occur, right? Should this person come into my pipeline as a customer, as a prospect in my, in my sales pipeline, same idea applies to hiring salespeople. Does this person meet a certain criteria along the way? And, you know, the kind of inside baseball is that we don't sell the job or the company until the very last meeting. We, we ask the CEO to come in or whoever the senior executive mm -hmm. is going to be part of that process. That's when they come in and sell it. They sell the culture, they sell the role, they sell the company, they sell all of the things that are, are there. During the, the early process, we're trying to root out why this person might not be successful. Do they have the criteria that are going to hunt, build those relationships, right? Whatever is important. So I, I think that's a fundamental difference from our approach to sales hiring to uh, the traditional methods. Okay, yeah, that's 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 interesting. That that's fascinating. So let's go from hiring to retention, especially in this day of you know quiet quitting and people just saying you know see it wouldn't want to be a what do you tell the sales manager or c-level type who's losing people and and they're like i'm i'm losing so many people i'm losing good people how do these companies retain those people i think the first thing that they need to do and i had this conversation last week with a ceo of a mid-market company mm -hmm. uh, i said go go grab a mirror very uncomfortable conversation for for the CEO, mm -hmm. why are they leaving? That's what you have to understand, yeah. right? You get a certain amount of information from an exit interview, mm -hmm. yeah, but, but you really got to understand your culture, right? You got to understand the people that are working with you. And, and, and we're talking about salespeople. So the people that are doing well, we can ask them, you know, what, what's working, what's not working, but it's understanding your culture. And if that isn't aligned, and I don't care what your culture culture is, right? If it's all real competitive and, and you know, just that whole capitalistic kind of thing, or if it's more like, let's everybody get along and let's all be, you know, a big team player, right? Either, either end, we got to understand that. And we got to put the right people that are going to fit that culture yep. into the organization. So right. If you're losing people, are we losing the wrong people or the right people? That's a question to ask. Sometimes we just need bodies, which is a terrible situation to be in, but sometimes that's the case. So you got to really look at what your culture is like and a company culture and a sales culture, they, they need to be congruent, right? but they're not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. I want yeah, a sales I meeting when I go in, I want it to be loud and a lot of energy, people calling each other out, but mm -hmm. I also want it to be like that big, you know, big Italian family, right? Dinner on Sunday, <laughs> right? Where there's yeah. a lot of yelling and screaming, a lot of hand motions, yeah. everybody's excited, but nobody nobody gets to pick on somebody else on that at that table they come together as a family right so that sales team needs to have an element of that where they kind of lock arms and you know protect each other internally and externally we work together we're competitive but we're a team right and that takes a special uh type of leadership and it takes a special type of management you have to have alignment with your comp plans you got to have alignment with the right expectations so to, to 
you know, circle back, answer your question. I think it's it's about really being reflective about what do we have? Is there alignment? Are we asking people to do the right things? Are we are we measuring them on the right things, the right metrics? Uh, and did we tell them that? But you know, from a culture point of view, what the big mistake I see often is that they they don't connect the dots for the salespeople or anyone else in the organization. They have this big flowery story about what culture is like, but they don't help the individual understand what they can do every day, every week to be part of that and to be helpful. Hope that answers so, the question. Yeah, yeah, it does. So is that a function of just general communication or more training specifically, or where does that part come from, the uh, the uh, connecting the dot parts? It, or should it come from? <laughs> it needs to start at the top. The CEO needs to be able to explain the vision and the strategy as to the whole company. And then the, the, the leadership group and the management group, they need to be able to tell the rest of that story. So Bob, the CEO, said A, B, and C. So this is how we're going to achieve that in our role, in our department. These are the things that you have the ability to do. You can make this decision with that customer. When they have this problem, you get to make that decision because it's part of our core values. It's part of our culture. It's part of our mission. That little piece right there of being help, help, able to help that individual understand some of its communication, some of it is be, for that person to believe that they can do that, right? So they mm -hmm. have to be able, there's trust there on, on you know, trust is a two-way street. It doesn't get fixed by flipping a switch, but if you don't start working on it and you don't start to address it and don't start to lead, truly lead, the problem's going to continue. Okay. Yeah, that's something. That's something. So, so I'm going to shift uh, gears just a little bit. Um, in one of your uh, recent LinkedIn posts, you started out with a line that just resonates with me like you wouldn't believe. Uh, I never get an ROI from training people. So here's Social Sales Link. We're sales trainers ourselves. We hear this all the time. You advocate a different way of doing training. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? It's the last thing we do, literally. Okay. Some people in the sales improvement space, sales development space, lead with it. We just need to do training because what does that do? It allows the VP of sales or the senior executive to say, I'm doing this. I'm providing them training. It sort of allows them off the hook. In certain right. Situations. Yeah. 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 That's what I was thinking when you started saying that. Yeah. So what I've seen, saw this a couple of times earlier this year, the salespeople went to training last year and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, tell me a little bit more about that. So they sent 10 salespeople to training over the course of a six-month program. There's nothing wrong with the training, nothing wrong with the with the way they delivered it. It was all fine. So, you know, was the sales manager able to help the salespeople with the training? Oh, we didn't send her to the training. Wow. Well, this is for salespeople. What do you think the sales manager's job was, right, is what <laughs> I'm asking the, you know, sales managers should spend 50% of their time coaching mm -hmm. some form or the other. So there, there's this idea that training is going to, is, is checking a box and I did it. And, right. You know, we spend billions of dollars on training throughout the year, and a huge percentage of it is is sales training. Um, so, I, to to address your question, Bob, I think we need to understand our culture. We need to understand what we're asking our people to do. Do have we given them the right training? Have has the CEO and the senior leadership team delivered what they're responsible for to the sales organization? Right. And those are things like the story that that we're trying to position ourselves as. What 
what's the company's position in the marketplace? Are we price driven? Or are we premium offering and offering at a premium price? Are we what? How do we differentiate? CEOs and senior executives hire salespeople to think that they're they're going to figure all this out themselves. I disagree. I think it's the responsibility of the company to say this is why we're different. So um, I think that is a is a big big piece of it. Understanding if we have the right pieces in place, do we have the right culture? Right? Because some companies like they look at salespeople as free labor, or they look at salespeople as you know, these people that just go out and play golf and go to lunch and do all these things. And not to say that bad salespeople don't exist, but there's a lot of good ones out there who have to fight through getting a deal through the building. Getting it right. to the front door is a fight. And then getting it out the back door to get delivered to a customer is sometimes a bigger fight. And if that exists in your organization, then you have a barrier to success and that needs to get corrected. So we look at all those things. Do we have the right managers in place? Do they do they know how to coach? Do they know how to manage? Are there's a is there accountability in place? Because if you go to do training and the manager doesn't know what the training looks like and they don't know how to hold people accountable and they don't know what to hold them accountable to, or you don't have a good way of you know measuring all of this. Um, we don't have a clear process for people to follow as a salesperson. The training is going to fail. So yeah. let's get all of the house in order first, and then deliver training, but to the right people in the right time with the right in the right method. Yeah, yeah. It seems to me that I mean, you know, in just listening uh, to you, kind of an overriding theme through the answer to every single question that I've asked has been culture. It's a big piece of it. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, and that execs not only have to understand that there needs to be a culture, but they need to build that culture too. They're responsible for it. Yeah. Right? And, and that's the unpleasant truth. I've been a salesperson 30 plus years and I've worked for some great guys and gals that, that are, that really were, that meant well. And mm -hmm. I worked for some folks who just were just miserable people and mm -hmm. hated salespeople, right? They saw us as a necessary evil and they treated us as such um so the, but that ceo is responsible for whatever is there and they have to they have to try to change that and if if they're one not aware of it there's no way to change it two if they don't care they're not going to change it and if right. they don't see the value that it ties everything else together mm -hmm. if you have this ability to communicate honestly and openly and you have a culture that allows for people to say eh, that's that's crap. I don't believe that. And, and be professional, but to share people's real thoughts and to feel like you're going to be heard. I think that's important for everything else to work. So that post that you referred to, I mean, it was really a question, right? Is to people like, if you've spent tens of thousands of dollars on training and you didn't get an ROI, well, it's common. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should look at why. Right. Maybe we should understand what what's causing that to fail and do it differently next time yeah. rather than just check the box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause otherwise you're just throwing money out the window. So we're, we're going to get to your book in, in just a minute, but first, uh, just a quick overview about your podcast sales and cigars, which by the way, I had the honor of being on several months ago and had a great conversation back then. This is obviously is a great conversation too. So while you and I know all about this, Walter, how, how does sales and cigars, how do those concepts, which a lot of people may go, eh, I, I'm not sure I get this. How do they go together? It's a conversation. Yep. Right. Every once in a while you'll have a cigar 
so you appreciate what I'm saying. And not everybody does. And that's okay. Right. It's, it's perfectly fine. Um, right. It's more of a mindset, I think. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be cigars. It doesn't have to be libations. But when you do, when you come in with like that, that type of mindset that is just relaxed and you're just going to have a conversation, that's, you know, you can almost put cigars in air quotes, I think, because it really is, like you said, all about the conversation. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a slant to it. And, you know, the logo and the tags and all that are, are tied around it, but I'm speaking to a particular group of people. But in general, I've had lots of people on, I asked one the same question to everybody at the end, right? It's the only one mm -hmm. programmed question. And it's like, do you have a relationship with cigars? Mm -hmm. and it's awesome because I've had people on and say, yeah, I hate them. They make me sick. I don't want anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. It's happened once or twice, not a lot. I've had a, 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 a lady that was super smart, high level executive in marketing um, who I thought I was going to ask that question to and I would have got that answer. Okay. Her response was, I'm not a regular cigar smoker, but here, and she holds up a cigar that was 18 years old that she mm. had saved. Like, mm -hmm. It wasn't smokable. It was just 18 years old. She has right. one. But it was from <laughs> yeah. her wedding. They had a cigar wow. made for their wedding that had their names on it and the date. And that was like part of her relationship with cigars because she's held on to this because her husband and some of the family members, right? So it was a memory for her. I've had people tell me about, you know, they don't like cigars, but the smell of a cigar reminds them of their grandfather. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a memory component to it that makes this personal. But to me, cigars are contemplative. You know, I usually have one and I'm thinking about something. Mm -hmm. I want to contemplate an idea, trying to be creative. Usually a pen and a notebook are involved for me. But to me, it's all about just having a conversation, which goes to sales because sales is just a conversation. It's where we started. And and cigars can be an element of that or not. Just like right, yeah. So, But it's, it's yeah. try to have fun with it and try to have a conversation and try to make people think a little differently about whatever the topic is. Yeah, definitely. Let's move to your book, The Seven Critical Mistakes CEOs make with their sales organization that stopped the company from scaling. So what drove you to write this book to sit down and go, I mean, to not only come up with, the, with, with this concept, cause you're coming at it from a very specific standpoint, it seems like, but you know, just what was the, the, the thought process behind that? I was talking to a friend of mine who I had on my podcast and before the podcast, he's like, you know, you should write a book. I'm like, no, mm -hmm. I shouldn't. I don't have time to write a book. Um, so he's the reason for it. But when you really think about it, now that I've gone through the process, and quite frankly, we've been talking about the book for the last 30 minutes. Yeah. All of all of the things that we discussed are in the book. So I was having the same conversations with people over and over, whether it be chief revenue officer, sales director, sales VP, CEO, visionary, entrepreneurial, founder, whatever. I, I was having the same conversations with them on a regular basis. So writing of the book, was relatively easy because I've been having those conversations for the last 10 years. So it was just putting them down in a format that made sense that I need a little help and structure with. But I'm, I've had a couple of people who have every reason in the world to be honest with me about it, who read it. And, um, they, and they've said that, you know, there's a, a lot of good stuff in there and you're right about X and Y. And it was easy to understand, which is was what my goal was, is to be helpful. It's a short book that was written to be to be helpful to people. And the the, the guys that helped me write it, and that's how they refer to it, is a shook. 
short, helpful book. And it was, it was relative, it was fun, not every day, but it was fun um, sure. together. And I, and, but like I said, we've been talking about it. All, every, every part of our conversation was touching on one of those elements that CEOs struggle with. Yeah, that's something. That's something that's cool. So um, you know, we love those one thing you can do right now, takeaways type of thing. So I would say probably, especially drawing from your book of the seven critical mistakes, which one's probably the worst one and, and, and what could someone do to avoid that? So that's one of those questions that make you think, right? And how do you make know you ask a good question is that's a really good question. <laughs> I, I think it's, there's a fundamental piece that, that a, a senior executive could really focus on and that they're better at it than they realize. And if they just take the, take a moment to think about it and contemplate, and that's differentiating their company, their offering from their competitors. Mm-hmm. And it's all that is, is telling a story. And that's why CEOs can be good at this because that's part of their role is to tell a story, whether it be mm-hmm. the leadership team, the board of directors, if it's publicly held to, you know, analysts, whoever, their, their spouse for trying to convince them to go spend a bunch of money to start a company, right? They've told the story. They know right. how to do it. So why? And it goes beyond just differentiating your, it's not features and benefits. Nobody cares. Right. Like, why does this matter to your prospect? Mm-hmm. What problems does that solution that you're offering, that product, that service, what problems does it solve? And it's being able to talk about those outcomes. That's what differentiates a company is being able to talk about what you do without talking about the widget or the service. So you know that problem that you have, right? And don't ask them what keeps you up at night because you should know. Right. Yeah. I hate that question so much. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Is this kind of thing of a problem for you? Well, yeah, we've been struggling with that for years. But what if you could do something like this? Well, how is that possible? Well, it might not be here, but let's, let me ask you a couple of questions, right? And now you've got their attention because you understand their problems. You understand what they're going through, right? We got, that's the conversational part, right? Mm-hmm. And you listen to them and it's like, I, I don't know yet. I think I might be able to help you, right? And then eventually you talk about your product, but in the beginning, you're only talking about the product in the, in the sense of the outcomes that you create, the solutions you provide, the problems that you solve. And the CEOs think that their salespeople know how to do that. 6% of them are pretty good at figuring that out. 14%, they can do it if you give it to them. The rest of them, they got to have help. You got to give it to them. So it's got to be congruent with all your marketing. The messaging's got to be the same. But if CEOs and visionary leaders could really tell that story and help break it down, they would have so much more success. Just, just that. Culture is important. Management's important. The right metrics are important. But if you're not able to differentiate yourself, like why you, why now, if you can't answer those questions, you probably shouldn't be in front of those people. So yeah, so that's a powerful way to wrap things up. If people want to learn more about your offerings, where uh, where can they go? Well, the book's on Amazon. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Amazon, but they can go yeah, type it's that a in. Meeting company, yeah. <laughs> They've got, they could type in my name or the seven critical mistakes and it'll show up. If somebody wants a copy of the book, since we're, um, you and I are old friends and, and you mm-hmm. do a lot of good works. If somebody that's a listener of your, of, of your podcast, they want a copy for free. If they ping me on LinkedIn and uh, I'll, I'll send them a copy for free. Uh, oh, thank you. That's very no string, generous. No strings attached. They can just, uh, the idea is to help. 
Yeah, very generous. And it's Walter Crosby, just in case you forgot. And then um, Sales and Cigars is also on, uh, on, on the major platforms, as they say. Anywhere you find podcasts, you can find Sales and Cigars. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast on a platform, you're going to find Sales and Cigars as well in that exact same spot, which I won't list because God knows how many platforms we're going out to anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely <laughs> crazy. Oh. And, then, and then your company's website. HelixSalesDevelopment.com, which is also where you can find the podcast and um, access to my LinkedIn and all that. So there's a few tools there too, if somebody's interested in learning a little bit more. We're not for everybody. We want to provide value. And the thing I usually tell a senior exec is if if I can't help you, I'll tell you. And I'm more than likely, I know somebody who can. Excellent. Not, Excellent. not looking to waste time. Yeah, no, I hear that. So um, with that, Walter Crosby, sales performance expert, author, and podcaster, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. It was, I had this circled on my, on my calendar right after the last football game I watched. Uh, <laughs> and uh, not to bring up a sore subject. But it, it, this was this was just as much fun as I was anticipating. So thanks, Bob. Appreciate good, 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 good. I'm 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 always very very happy to hear that. And I want to thank you for streaming this episode of Making Sales Social. So remember, when you're out and about this week or whatever week it happens to be, be sure to make your sales social. Thanks for listening and join us again for more special guest instructors bringing you marketing, sales training, and social selling strategies that will set you apart. Don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episodes from the Making Sales Social podcast. Leave a review down below. Tell us what you think, what you learned, and what you want to hear from us next. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Visit our website, socialsaleslink.com, for more information.